cook the best food in the world. It's really good. Mom, you care for me and you love me. Thank you for letting us have two dogs in the house. Thank you for everything that you do for me. And thank you, Mom, for letting me have a unicycle. Well, that's quite the list, isn't it? And as a mom, I'm sure that you want to have a lifelong positive impact on your kids. But sometimes it can be really hard knowing just how to do that. This is Focus on the Family with Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. I think that you're really going to enjoy today's program. Our guest uh, not only has practical insight, but she knows what she's talking about. Her name is Angela Thomas. She's an author and speaker. She's written numerous books, including, and I love this title, 52 Things Kids Need from a Mom. I'm sure there's 104. Uh, but Angela knows all about being a great mom. She's the mother of four, all of them now in their teen years or beyond. Angela, it is great to have you back here at Focus on the Family. Thank you. It's great to be back. Now, that title of your book, 52 Things Kids Need from a Mom, I can only imagine my wife, Jean, is going, 52 more things. I'm turning this off. Whoa. Don't turn the station. No, no. There, not one thing was written to be a giver of guilt. Yeah. But just moms getting together and passing their notes around, yeah. encouragement, and uh, maybe a little challenge every once in a while. Yeah, okay, Jean, so hang on there. <laughs> Let's start with a really big question. Um, what is the most important thing that a mom can do for her kids? Well, right in the forward to the book, before all these 52 things, or the <laughs> 1,052 things that you're aware of, the most important thing is that we love. That we are consistent with the presentation and the feeling and the truth of our love for our children, no mm. matter what, no matter what comes. You know, it's said that a mom kind of sets the temperature of the home, the environment. Do you agree with that? And I then do. What I does do. that mean and how does it work practically? I think it's our responsibility even that we set the tone. I don't think the children have been entrusted with the responsibility to set the countenance and the tone of our family. I think we're supposed to do that as moms. And so that way, if one of my children wakes up grumpy, he doesn't get to set how the day's going to go. That's my deal. I'm supposed to be before the Lord asking the Lord, what is the countenance of our home to look like? And what's it supposed to be like today? Mm. You know, Angela, so often that could become a confrontation, though. Even waking up grumpy. Your kid wakes up grumpy, and then you get on them. Well, I try to picture myself standing on a little stepladder above my children. You know, I'm supposed to be above their grumpiness and not to be brought down into it. And so if I have one that's grumpy, I'm like, well, hey, sunshine. You know, I'm not going to step down into his grumpy place. I may go put my arm around him and say, honey, I know we've had a hard start to the morning, but it's going to get better. If we find ourselves as a mom or a dad kind of taking the bait mm -hmm. and getting down to their level. It's going to uh, be ugly. It, it, well, it is going to be ugly and it doesn't do a whole lot of good. No, does it? no. And I don't think that's what God has called us to as parents. We're supposed to be a little more spiritually mature and a little more emotionally mature. We're supposed to care for them over them, not down underneath where they are. Mm. When you look at 52 things a mom needs to be doing, uh, what are the ones that kind of rise to the surface? What are the things we need to concentrate on? Well, the whole idea with this book was just to give one a week. That's why there's 52. Okay. And there's small little bite-sized pieces of things maybe you already do, but just to validate where you are as a mom or things that might inspire you to do something a little differently. I talked about in the book, one of the things I have learned, especially with regard to my teenage sons, is that 
kids need their moms to believe they will not grunt forever, you know, to believe bigger things for them than even they can imagine for themselves right now. That's something big, though, to believe in, that they're not <laughs> going to grunt forever. I put my arm around my 15-year-old son a week ago, and I said, oh, honey, it's not going to always be like this. He goes, Mom, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, honey, you're not going to grunt like this forever. Grown men use complete sentences. We're going to have a conversation one day. And he's probably cringing the entire time. No. I'm believing it for you, honey. Or he went, uh, whatever. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that is the life of a 15-year-old boy. Uh, what about dinner time? There seems to be a lot about dinner, and there's a lot of research out now that, you know, a family that eats together yeah. at least four times a week, uh, their kids are much less risk uh, for bad behavior. Yeah. What about dinner time? What should we be doing? Well, you know, I don't know the research, but I agree with their findings because what happens at our dinner time is that there's such a sweet connection that happens among us. And, and I even ask my kids to linger a little bit at the dinner table. And one of the things we have to do as moms is to set aside the way we wanted to provide dinner for them, it might be all home cooked once or twice a week. But I think the important thing is that we sit down and have it together. Even if I'm bringing in Chinese takeout or I'm bringing home that we sit because mm. there is this tendency to eat and run or to oh, stand yeah. and eat or yeah, to gobble. Minutes. Yeah, or to all sit around and one standing and two or sitting and I'm the one forcing us over to the table, right. sit down, bring the takeout boxes no one cares what the food is. It's about connecting over that meal that really seems to make a difference and give my kids that feeling of being in a haven or connecting over our food and mm. you're safe here and you're loved. And no matter what happened with your day to day, you're home now. Yeah. Everything's okay. I give Jean a lot of credit because she's diligent about that. I, I mean, we that. have just, and when I'm in town and, you know, obviously when I'm traveling, it can't be done, but you know, when we're together for dinner, she is good. She waits for me if it's 630 That's right. or whatever time it might be. And uh, we sit down together as a family and we usually spend about an hour. And we do games as well because my kids are 9 and 11. So yeah. we do things like uh, make up funny stories. We have the sentence game, the Aww. paragraph game, <laughs> the add on to the funny story game where we just go around yeah. the table and we add a word or a sentence. That's so great. Or we just make up a completely foolish story and they love it. Oh, yeah. And what I'm finding with my kids is that now that they're older and their practice schedules for their team sports last longer and they're that now we might not eat at a normal hour, but even if we're not having dinner until 8.30, if we're all together, mm. it's worth it to have a snack and eat together at 8.30 because that's when the last one gets finished with soccer. Or it's more important to wait to get us all together than to eat in shifts. Uh, why is it important? And this is something Gene and I struggle with, teaching your kids good manners around the table. Now, we do a thing every once in a while, mostly me. I was going to say Gene and me, but it's mostly me. Barbarian night, where we might have spaghetti. <laughs> yeah. And I tell the boys, okay, we're not using any utensils tonight. We're I just going to throw out the uh, sheet and <laughs> go for it with your hands. And, of course, what my little guy Troy does is he just takes the plate and puts his face in it. That's so great. There's a time for that. Yeah. But then there's a time for good manners. Talk about the importance of teaching your kids good manners well because they're going to be adults one day and you know the the boys need to know to stand up when a woman comes to sit at the table and they need to know to wait until everyone has been served before they take a bite you know just little things that are nice practices for our children to have as adult when they become adults i 
don't know how they're going to get it mm. unless we give it to them in these years. That's true. Hey, uh, when we talk about technology, we're going to hit all the hot buttons for kids. You think about it, uh, manners at the table. Mm. And another one's technology and the way that technology is used in our homes today. I mean, we're overrun by it. Exactly. And uh, if we're not careful as parents, uh, we can let that leash go way too long. Yeah. How do you manage that with your kids? How is it in the 52? It's got to be one of the 52. <laughs> kind of controlling technology in your home. We do. Only a year ago, I bought a computer for the family because I thought, well, they don't need that and they don't need the temptation. There are things they don't need to know. But we put the computer in the kitchen and we put some safety um, software on there, right. actually, that we got through Focus on yeah, the Family. We have, yeah. yeah, some protecting software. I trust my kids completely, but their friends are allowed to use the computer. And there's just no need for anything random to happen right. that we're not aware of. And so we have that. We monitor their games. I'll never forget the day this little kid came from down the street and he brought into my house. I went into the living room and there he is. He's setting up poker chips in my house and he's going to teach my boys how to play poker. And and I said, does your family know that you brought the poker chips? Uh. And he said, yeah, yeah, they're my dad's. And, And so I called the dad and said, hey, your son brought the poker chips up to my house and he's going to teach the boys how to play poker. And he said, yeah, so what's the big deal? And I said, well, I'm thinking... I don't need any gambling discipleship training in my house. It's not on the list. I was thinking that we wouldn't do that. And this dad, who's a Christian man, completely disagreed with me, and we had to decide to disagree. But I had to send a little kid home with his poker chips because Mm -hmm. I believe it's my responsibility as the mom to put those boundaries up and— I don't think we need gambling training in the house. Angela, that fortitude for a parent can be hard to find for some because we want to be a friend to our kids, not just a parent. And today that probably is more prevalent than in decades past. It seems that we want to be a friend first and foremost. How do we flip that switch? How do we know, okay, this is not good behavior to be taught to my kids. I've got to step into that gap. So often we'll just sheepishly Mm. put our head down and not do the right thing. Uh, How do you find the courage to do the right thing? Exactly. You know, I want to be their friend, but I have a feeling that'll come one day later when they have their own families and their own children. I'd like for us to have a friendship then. But the thing that keeps me motivated to be their mom, to be their protector, is the Lord. Hmm. I mean, I tell my kids, I am afraid of the Lord. I have a reverence for the job he's given to me. I have to stand in front of him one day. And tell him, give an account of how I protected you. So you roll your eyes or you stomp your feet or your friends feel frustrated. I don't care because what matters to me more is pleasing the Lord with how I am parenting you. Hmm. And so if I keep in mind that my responsibility is as unto the Lord, that keeps me straight. That's a good advice. <laughs> you talk in the book about the mom card. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that sounds uh, a little overwhelming right we there. We throw down the mom card. The mom card yeah. sounds intimidating. <laughs> what is it? Well, I don't use it very much. I had it, oh, someone say to me last week that her mom used that every day. I don't use it very much. The mom card is I'm making the final decision. No questions asked about this issue. I'm throwing down the mom card. Sometimes it's not appropriate for my kids to know why. 
Maybe I won't allow them to go to that friend's house or to go to that activity. It would be inappropriate for them to have the information that I have. Mm. And so I'll just say to them, hey, I know I usually explain things to you, and I usually try to give you a reason for my answer, but today I'm going to have to throw down the mom card. You're not allowed to go there, and, and it would be inappropriate for me to give you the answers as to why. So you just have to trust me. Okay, now, some moms and dads hear this, and they're going, okay, it's the next phase of this discussion that gets a little tricky because that teen daughter or that teen son doesn't understand that, turns mm -hmm. around, rants and raves, mm -hmm. slams the door on the way to the bedroom because you won't let them go to their friend's house because you know something is not healthy there. What do you do then? Well, before you have the privilege of throwing down your mom card or your dad card, you have to build a trust with your child. And that means you can't just use this thing all the time. My children trust me that I would not do something just to hurt them or to just to disappoint them, that I'm, I'm using this uh, decision-making as a protection mm. for them. And so they trust me because we have had all these other years of a very open relationship. Now, if for some reason your little kid wants to pitch fit and slam their door, and that's all right. They're in their room with the door slammed, protected. It's fine. Lock it and leave it there. There you go. You know, and we'll see you in a few minutes when you get over that. It does become very practical in that way in parenting that you, you do have to have a pretty thick skin. Yeah. You have to be willing to let them, uh, you know, be a kid. That's right. To do some ranting and raving. There is uh, concern within the Christian community particularly because we tend to be highly rules-based because mm -hmm. of our faith. You know, we want to live right. Mm -hmm. We want to do the right thing. But sometimes uh, those little brains aren't fully formed, they're and, right. and they're going to do things emotionally that are very immature. They're going to make mistakes. How do we manage that as parents, though? Because well, you want these little kids to be, well, I guess, not to be sinners. Well, you don't want them to be sinners, but the truth of it is they were born with that sin nature, which I think comes in about 18 months old when they start having those little fits on the floor. I'm like, oh, that's just that sin nature coming in. And then they're going to make mistakes and prove how much they need a Savior. Hmm. Just like you and I have proven that we need a Savior. And I think the role for me with my children as their mom is to walk them through this journey of growing up, realizing my kids need a Savior. They're going to make mistakes. And to love them mm. in spite of that. To be disappointed when they've disappointed us. And yet to love them as our Heavenly Father does with an everlasting love that is consistent and merciful and compassionate. How do you convey that love in a way that they feel it, not in our own parental definition? Yeah. But how do they know we love them? One of the things I talk about in this book is about giving grace-filled consequences. And so I sit with my child who's been disappointing or done something really dumb and say to them, you know that I love you and and this mistake has not changed my love for you. And I'm going to have to give a consequence that is applicable to the kind of mistake that you've made. And so I try to not go overboard and not undershoot it, you know, to give a consequence that I will enforce. And then one of the most important things, I think, is that as my child serves out their sentence, that I'm gracious to them and even say to them, I'm so, I hate it that you have to suffer this consequence. But I'm with you. And then after the punishment has been paid, after the consequence is over, to not keep bringing it up. Mm. And so 
I don't say to my child, well, you know that dumb mistake you made three weeks ago, or you know the time you disrespected me four weeks ago, or how you disappointed me last month. When the consequence has been paid, then it's done. Because that's what our Heavenly Father does for us. He remembers our sin no more. Mm. And I think as parents to keep bringing up over and over every mistake that our child has made, to keep a list, a ledger of their mistakes is to misrepresent the heart of our father in our parenting. Mm. And so, yes, we have to be the one who doles out the discipline and we have to be the one who graciously enforces the consequence. And then we are also called to be the one who remembers no more. Mm -hmm. You talk in the book, Angela, about the roller coaster effect in life Mm -hmm. uh, and what the roller coaster has meant to you with your kids. Uh, I think it was the branching out of having fun. Yeah. Uh, One of the things that I talk about is that kids need their mom to overcome fear, you know, to do some things a little differently. One of those fears for me that I did not want to pass on to my children was the fear of roller coasters. (laughs) That's that's gutsy. That's a gutsy one to overcome. You know, until I realized I was passing that fear on to my 12-year-old son Mm -hmm. and that he stood at the base of that roller coaster and was afraid, just like I had been all my life, I wasn't ready to face it. And so I said to him, you know, I'll ride if you'll ride. And he said, you will. And I was scared to death. And and I just kind of made this mental checklist in my head. I'm like, no one has gotten off of this thing dead, as far as I can tell. So I probably won't die, but I may feel like I'm going to die, but it's for my son. And, you know, anyway, so buckling in there with him to ride a big roller coaster down at Disney World was one of those things that I felt like I had to do for my children Mm. so that they didn't continue to live in the fears that I had known. Something so simple like that. How does that apply to other areas of our lives? As a parent, how do we instill either that fear or that uh, perhaps the uh, unbiblical uh, characteristics as a center ourselves. I mean, we're parents mm-hmm. that uh, give birth to centers, but we're also sinful. That's right. That's right. So, what are those things that we do that convey a sense of ungodliness to our kids? Well, I've tried to be honest with my kids when it's appropriate and say to them, "Here are some of the things I regret when it's appropriate." and have some honest conversations with them. Because I hear people say all the time, oh, I have no regrets. I'm like, not me. <laughs> I would have done that differently, and I would have responded differently there. And and learning when it's appropriate to be honest with our children so that we aren't passing on, mm. even unwillingly and unknowingly, some of our own sin patterns. It's a little different generationally. I think the older generation, that, that has not been as comfortable for them. And I think... Uh, right. The kids of that generation had to learn how to do this a little better. Do you agree exactly. with that? Oh, my parents never sat me down and said, yeah. here's what I regret. <laughs> quiet, quiet and strong is yes. the way to go. But there is something that's beautiful when uh, a parent, a father, I'm thinking in a dad's context where mm-hmm. a dad, when uh, something that he's done over the top mm-hmm. and it's affected the kids in a negative way, to be able to go into that child's bedroom and say, daddy needs your forgiveness. Yes, I've seen it on my own kids' faces and there's something, even their countenance changes. There's a peace that you can see come into their heart Mm -hmm. that, okay, it's okay. I can fail. And even daddy fails. Yes. There's something special there. I've done the same thing. I and go to my daughter or my child later and say, I am so sorry you needed my attention in that room full of people. And I should have given it to you. And I put my hand up Mm. or I said in a minute, and will you forgive me? Because I what that communicated to you is that you're not the most important, but you are. 
Yeah. You are, and I'm so sorry. I think for me as a dad, I can remember one with Trent, my oldest. At the time, I think he was probably six or seven. And uh, there was a discipline issue. And uh, afterward, I went into the bedroom, but he wouldn't speak to me. Mm. And that was not a good thing. And I'm yeah. saying, no, you need to express your feelings and how you're feeling. And I noticed he had a notepad nearby. And I said, well, can you write Mm. the answers to the questions I'll ask you. Wow. And he nodded his head yes. Oh. And I said, what are you feeling in your heart? Yeah. And he wrote me a note that gripped me. It said, sometimes I feel like you don't love me. Oh, oh was that a changing <laughs> moment for yeah. me to make sure that in my discipline, in my yeah. fathering, and I think dads struggle with this, maybe more than moms. Well, because we want to communicate. I'm disappointed in right. that choice, right. but maybe it's received as I'm disappointed in you. Right. Yeah. And I think fathers particularly, moms have a, a wonderful combination that God has given you and that you can express tenderness in your discipline. I think dads, we struggle with that. We're, mm -hmm. we're typically physically larger. Yeah. Our voices boom. Mm -hmm. So when we speak sternly to our kids, they feel it in a greater way. Yeah. And it but, penetrates their yeah, heart. Yeah, but that's a good thing too. You know, all my dad oh, yeah. had to do was clear his throat. Oh, I would I sit up straight. <laughs> How many people say that story? You know, when my dad did this, yeah. we all listened. Yeah. And, uh, he, but we've got to remember that power yeah. and to use it wisely with that's our right. kids so we don't injure their spirits. That's right. Uh, what would moms need to look out for in that way? Do you think moms uh, have that same kind of pothole in their discipline? I think sometimes we have this tendency to believe, oh, everything's going to be okay, you know, and, and just kind of brush things under the rug. Yeah. When in fact, what we'll probably need to do is call out a behavior or an attitude or take the time to sit down and address something directly instead of whitewashing it all. It's all going to be fine. It's harder to sit down with the child and say, hey, I've noticed that you've been responding in this way. Mm. the past few weeks. You want to talk about it? Yeah. I mean, open communication is so critical in our parenting. Let's talk about probably the most important thing we can model for our kids and to really put them on a good path in life, and that is prayer. Yeah. Uh, how do we teach our kids how to rely and to pray to our Heavenly Father? I say in the book that we should pray in secret with the door open. <laughs> you know, so many times as Christians, we're trying to get a quiet time alone with the Lord. And that's so appropriate and so right. But our kids need to know that we do that. I think it's powerful that your child comes down to breakfast and they have to push mom's Bible out of the way to eat their cereal. Yeah, They need to know that your first priority is the health of your soul, your spiritual health. And what a sweet picture. Your child walks by your room, sees you there laying mm. on your face, praying mm. to your father. As when my kids were little, they were just three and four years old. The only way I could have a quiet time was to leave the door open. You can't shut the door when they're little. And my kids would come and lay on top of me. Yeah. They would say, Mama, what you doing? <laughs> I said, I'm praying. I'm praying. And to watch them lay beside me and model that praying too. I'll never forget my son William asking me, Mama, what were you doing in there? I said, Honey, I was praying. He said, well, it looked like you were sleeping. <laughs> I said, it's been known to happen. <laughs> that can be a nice place to take a nap. But that is so good. Angela Thomas, uh, author of the book, 52 Things Kids Need from a Mom. And don't be overwhelmed with that. It's an excellent read and terrific ideas in there, Angela, to help moms uh, really focus their parenting attention. And uh, you've done a great job there. Thank you. 
And I think, Angela, uh, I'm going to remember for a long, long time the story of you uh, praying for your child and them seeing you doing that. What, what a wonderful example of love that every one of us wants to express to our kids. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team here, thanks for listening to this program, which was provided by Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller. what stood out for me when Angela Thomas was speaking was that the number one thing that a child needs from a mom is to know without a doubt that you love them. And the resource I want to recommend is called Parenting with Heart, how imperfect parents can raise resilient, loving, and wise-hearted kids. Parents will learn how to resolve issues from their own childhoods tune into their feelings and the emotions of their children and be present with their families through the best and worst of circumstances. You'll find that online at safamily.co.za or give us a call on 031-716-3300. I also want to remind you of the parenting assessment we have on our website. It's quick and easy and it gives parents an honest look at their unique strengths plus some areas that could use a little help and you'll find that on our website at safamily.co.za for focus on the family africa i'm alison schnell inviting you to join us next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in christ